The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers, the podcast that takes deeper dives in order to serve up cooler takes on the Chicago Bears and the NFL. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined on the other line by EJ Snyder, our resident draft guru. We're past Memorial Day. The summer weather has definitely hit the Midwest, and that means that camp is just around the corner. How excited are you, EJ? I'm very excited about both of those things. I'm very excited about good weather. We've gotten our share of it, too. And, uh, yeah, days ticking off until camp is is a very good thing in my book. Well, good weather in the Pacific Northwest is that it's just not raining for five straight days. That uh yeah we have been blessed with something beyond that which is nice we've had some uh pretty nice stretches on uh mid 70s which for us is yes as you mentioned luxury well i am just back from the east coast uh on a road trip for work and i managed to stop at three or four different places to pick up some beers very excited to share those with you and our audience and so the first one i found uh is actually a chicago brewery i stopped at Benny's. so for anybody who's an Illinois resident knows Benny's well. And I found Revolution Brewing, which is new to me, but it's uh, brewed in Chicago. And I found a Session Sour. It is called Freedom of Speech, but speech is spelled S-P-E-A-C-H, like a peach. Uh. And it is a peach-flavored Session Sour. So I'm pretty excited about this one. Crazy. Sounds great, and it's always fun to find new breweries, so I'll be really interested to see uh, see how they stack up, how they put it together. What do you got over there? Uh, I'm going to – you mentioned we are in summer. We are uh, past the summer opening holiday, and so I'm going to pivot and go towards um, one of my favorite summer beers, which most folks are familiar with, which is Pacifico, a Mexican lager. Nice, clear beer. goes down really well in the summer, but there's a twist. Okay. I'm going to break with tradition and introduce listeners um, – as dangerous as it may be, to one of my favorite drinks of summer, which is uh, Pacifico or your favorite clear Mexican beer. Uh, lots of people use Corona. Some poor souls will use Tecate. Um, basically, take a sip out of the beer after you open it. So I've also broken with tradition by already opening this because I had to prep it. And then uh, pour in one ounce or less of Bacardi Limon. Oh, no. Or any, <laughs> or any lemon-flavored rum. Um, and this is called a Diver Down, the combination of the shot and the beer. And don't don't be tempted. Don't overdo the rum because it will make the beer too sweet. And really what you want to do is to have the sweet and the sour working together of beer, not just overwhelming it and having something that tastes straight like lemonade. But these are incredibly dangerous because they go down very easily. Um, they are quite pleasant to drink, and you often forget that there are two drinks in one bottle instead of just one. Um, but Diver Downs are a fantastic summer option. So I have my Pacifico loaded up with Bacardi Limon, and I am thoroughly excited about it. That's crazy. Um, I have a similar version, but it involves uh, uh, apple cider, you know, hard apple cider, and a shot of bourbon. But uh-huh. I'll, I'll save that for a day where we need a really stiff drink because I only need yeah those. yeah either right. a, a great win or a great loss. I'm gonna open go. mine and get okay. Going, you open so. yours. I'm just gonna um, take a sip out of mine because mine's as I as I mentioned pre-opened. And I'll have to tell you that this the the art on the can is wonderful. It's got a fist in the air, uh, you know, like power to the people kind of thing. I assume that's the sure. revolution type. And then for the specific beer, it's got uh, a peach 
grasped by a talon of an eagle. So it's oh, very my. like American. It's like this eagle just swooped down into the into the Georgia uh, peaches and grabbed one. And obviously, um, the theme of today uh, we're we're talking about pass catchers. And since we have two Georgia Bulldogs uh, on on the receiving core, I wanted to find something Georgia relevant. So I found a peach beer to share with everybody. That's right. I saw the tie-in coming, and that is beautiful. Uh, it's always fun to find beer with good art. Last uh, last episode, I had a beer with a bear on it, which is always great fun. But yeah, when you find great can art, it's kind of like um, great album art. You may or may not like the music, but it's really cool to look at the cover. I did find that Alaska uh, uh, Blonde Honey Ale. Oh, yeah. And I bought one. So I haven't had it yet, but I'll let you know how it is. So I oh, thought of you when I got it. That was one of the beers that I, that I pulled. Um, all right. Well, first, first taste for me is great. Uh, I think honestly, that's the key to sours is pick one fruit, not uh, seven, like the last one I had and, uh, and just to have that sweetness of the fruit sort of balance that sour and, uh, you get a nice little beer. So got a good, good first taste on that one. Nice. Yeah. We're both doing a little bit of sweet and sour, uh, today. And I think that really works for summer. It's, it's great to sort of bounce off both sides of the taste bud there. And, um, you know, a little bit of refreshment, but that goes down a little bit easier and, um, makes them, makes them good, but makes them dangerous when it's hot for sure. I honestly think it's the type of beer that if you have to, you can throw an ice cube in it, uh, to chill it down a little bit and it doesn't really hurt it that much. So, um, Nothing wrong with that if you have to do that. We'll call to, it, to uh, it Emery used to call that positional flexibility, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll go with it. All right, so we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna talk about uh, pass catchers tonight, and you know we we've talked about some of these uh, wide receivers in previous shows just because they're new and they're they're drafted and or the, the free agent Cordell Patterson, but I you know I had mentioned I think this might be the most talented wide receiver group that the Bears have had in in recent memory but maybe even in the lifetime of the the entire franchise and and i think that starts with the unquestioned wide receiver one in this group which is alan robinson uh, I, at this point he's got to be fully recovered from that 2017 acl injury that cost him pretty much his entire last season in jacksonville jacksonville you know, I went and looked to look at his stats from last year. They're not going to wow anybody. 55 catches, 754 yards, and only four touchdowns. That was really only over 12 games, and again, coming off that ACL injury. And so I took the liberty of prorating that out to 16 games. Still not exactly that impressive. 73 catches, 1,005 yards, and five touchdowns is what that projects to. But I, does, I do think that that gives you a pretty good representation of what he was in this offense last year, like a really good wide receiver in this offense. Just wasn't on the field for all 16 games. I think moving into this season with the improvement uh, in year two of the Nagy offensive scheme with just everybody involved and what we hope is a pretty big step forward from Trubisky, I think recapturing that 2015 magic uh, in Jacksonville doesn't seem that crazy although when you look at the numbers 80 catches 1400 yards 14 touchdowns that is a mighty nice ceiling that we can aim for there but it doesn't seem like it's like unattainable i think that's something that he could he could shoot for to reestablish himself as that wide receiver one and certainly with all the uh, weapons around him to take off pressure i think he's going to have a big year what do you think about robinson this year I love Robinson this year, and I think he will have a big year, but I think we need to almost balance that or prorate it with um, really the number you projected out, I think, is probably closer to what we'll see from him this year. Not because he's not physically capable of more, uh, not necessarily because he's not going to be open more. I think he's going to be both of those things this year more than he was last year. But you really have to look at the thing you opened up with, which is this is an incredibly talented wide receiver core. We've got a great running back core as well. There's some there's some weapons at special teams too. And then you throw in some wild cards like Cordell Patterson, and there's just there's only one ball, right? There's so many targets to go around. So it's not that he's not capable of producing at that sort of 1400 yard level. I just don't think he's going to get that many targets. I think, you know, right about a thousand yards, um, a nice touchdown figure, maybe eight or 10 Mm -hmm. again, spreading the wealth is pretty reasonable. And it doesn't mean that he's not a dominant player. It doesn't mean that he's not wide receiver one. I think he is both of those things. I just think it's going to be a distribution. If he comes up with 15 or 1600 yards, if he has a massive year, it's really, I think either sort of a failure of the offense uh, or there were a bunch of injuries and he really got forced into a much more singular role in the wide receiver core. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I think that 80 actually isn't a bad 
number for him, which is what he had in that 2015 year. I think 80 catches is a pretty good number. I think 1,400 yards is pretty high, and I, I like 1,200. So kind of splitting the difference between that 1,000-yard year and the 1,400. 14 touchdowns is astronomical. I mean, that's just an incredible year. That just doesn't happen year to year for most wide receivers. A lot of things uh, happened in that year in Jacksonville for him to be able to get that. And so I think you're right. Eight to ten is a really nice year for touchdowns. So if you had something like 80, 1,200, and nine touchdowns, it's a really nice year out of your number one wide receiver in this offense. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd, I'd, I'd knock it down just a little bit, sort of. And this is splitting hairs, but I'd, you know, comfortable with like 75, 1,100, and anywhere 8, 9, 10 again, because it's that's so variable and fickle. You get down and one guy's open on a goal line play versus another, and the touchdowns are going to get spread around the Bears. I think we both agree are certainly going to score them, and who gets them is just going to be a factor of hot hand, time in the game, uh, how the defense lines up, whether or not Mitch audibles, all that good stuff. So any of those numbers, anything close to any of that, I think is a is a success for Robinson and the offense both. Well, and anybody that's ever played fantasy football and had someone like Julio Jones on their team knows that receivers can get tackled at the one yard line, and you don't get a touchdown for that. And so uh, it's it's it is a very much a random thing a lot of times with wide receivers from year to year if they get in the end zone or not. And I, it'd be interesting, you know, as we move forward into the year, I think we should start putting some of these things on the board of when we disagree. This isn't very much of a disagreement. We're pretty much in line here. But it'd be interesting to see if we can put some of these things up on the board and, and track them throughout the year to see who's doing a little better in their predictions. I'd, that might be kind of fun. Maybe put a wager on it. I don't know, like a beer or something. Like make you drink an IPA if I actually beat you in something? Well, yeah. I mean, it'd have to be the overall bet, right? Like it's not just a single bet. We'd have to do the, we'd have to do the whole board because yeah, I'd have to really work myself up for something like that. Right. I wouldn't want to put you out, but yeah, this is definitely your area of specialty. You've you've been playing fantasy longer and certainly in a much more uh, detailed way than I have. Uh, I sort of faded out of the fantasy scene years ago, and I have I have the feeling I'll be back this year just based on the podcast and and my close proximity to my co-host. Um, but you know, it is really interesting, and it'll be really interesting to see in the second year of. Nagy's offense, how it flexes, how those touches start to balance out, who stays healthy, who is producing, who he wants to ride, you know, what the balance of run passes, all those things are going to come into play. And, you know, there's talent all over the board. It's just really how the Bears choose to use it. And that's going to be fascinating to watch throughout the season. I can't wait. Well, let's let's move on to the next talented wide receiver. And actually, before I jump into him, I want to talk about Taylor Gabriel. And I don't know if you saw this. I tweeted it out a little bit uh, on Twitter earlier today. But USA Today uh, had an article out where they ranked every team just based on their number one wide receiver. Uh-huh. And the Bears were ranked pretty low. But they used Taylor Gabriel as the wide receiver one. Oh, whoops. And they also put uh, Jarvis Landry instead of Odell Beckham for the Browns. And so, and look, I'm not trying to pile on the guy. I don't know who, who the writer is. I don't know the type of work that he put in or anything. I think it's pretty disappointing to get the roster that wrong. Uh, but the reason why someone might be led to thinking that Gabriel is the number one on this offense is because he did lead the team last year in catches. He had 67, which was more than Robinson. Now a lot of that I think is reflected on the fact that Robinson missed four games, but Uh he was a pretty reliable target. Uh, He brings a speed element to the offense. I think he's a good route runner. He's not just a guy that just comes in and runs down the field. He He does run routes pretty well. He does fight for the ball you know he comes down in traffic with with more balls than you might think he added nine carries for 61 yards last year and I think he had a 20 yarder nice explosive play Uh, I think it was against the Vikings in their first meeting and that was that was a nice run so they're they're trying to get the ball in his hands because he's fast and and has that element of potentially breaking a, a big one and so I think you know when you look at Gabriel's 2018 I think you can see why Ryan Pace targeted him uh, to be a perfect compliment to Allen Robinson. And I I think he just brings something that simply wasn't on the roster last year. We can talk about if there's anybody that maybe can push him uh, in the future. I've read a little bit, heard a little bit from different Bears pundits, either trying to run Gabriel out of town uh, because of the younger crop of wide receivers, maybe they don't like his contract, even trying to trade him away this, this offseason because they think that there's enough depth behind him. I don't see that for 2019. 2019, I think he's a 
major component of what this offense wants to do this year. Uh, you know, what do you think about Gabriel in this offense this year? What do you think his outlook is moving forward? I think he's one of the most overlooked bears period. And usually when you hear his name right now, it's exactly what you said. Oh, he's got this contract. He'd be ripe for a cut. There's plenty of people behind him. People, if you ask them, if you ask most bears fans, uh, which you would assume would be the closest folks to the team, but it's certainly wider than that in NFL fans. And you say, Hey, how many, how many yards did Taylor Gabriel have last year? I think the average answer would probably be, I don't know, three, 400. He had almost 700 yards. He had 688 yards. Now he didn't have a ton of touchdowns. He did have a few carries that he contributed on, which is great. But you know, that's the kind of production that a lot of teams are getting out of, um, you know, their second slash third wide receiver. There's not that many dual thousand yard wide receiver combos in the NFL. And having a guy that comes in and adds a, a stretch speed element comes up with basically 700 yards and almost 70 catches is really nice. Yeah, I think, you know, he's talked about it a little bit in in his comments and you see this from a lot of guys that come from a similar draft stock or lack thereof and it seems like guys that are drafted high always get the benefit of the doubt or guys that are drafted low or go undrafted they just don't get that benefit for the rest of their career and i think he's a pretty good case for that because he's already on his third team but he's shown value for at least two of them uh, and so and he got a nice contract from the Bears. And so the Bears certainly have shown him the love. But you're not seeing that same level of love for him that you are for some of the guys that maybe were drafted a little higher because he put in that draft capital. And so I think it's interesting that he's a little bit, you, you said overlooked, and that's exactly what I had in my uh, notes as well. And I, I just, I really like this guy. And I'm kind of curious to see if Bears fans really take to that this year because there's a long history of overlooked wide receivers that become fan favorites in Chicago. Yeah, I hope so because again, he came in, he was quiet, he did his job really well, uh, produced quite well. His production was, like we talked about, very, very solid. And if you look back even three years ago and you put Taylor Gabriel on the Bears, you know, he's like easily one of the top three wide receivers on the team, if not in some cases, possibly the top wide receiver on the team, depending on who's healthy. And now the fact that people are, like you said, basically looking for an excuse to get rid of him and his contracts prohibitive to get him out of town, um, you know, short of a trade, which I don't think is going to happen, but it's not easy to get him out of town this year and, and take that hit. And again, for a guy that is, fitting him in the locker room, obviously productive, understands the offense, was available for pretty much the whole season, um, which is always a concern with a guy his size, you know, 5'8", 165. Right. He's doing everything right. He's checking all the boxes. It's like, why do you want to get rid of it? This is this is what you pay players for, right? To come in, to understand, to fit in, to produce. He's doing all those things. So it, it's, I understand the money part and, and everybody worrying about the sort of Bears looming cap decisions and how he could disappear after this year. I certainly get that, um, especially with the wide receiver cupboard stocked behind him. But this year, I think he plays a really important part in the offense, and I don't think that's lost on uh, you know Matt Nagy or Mark Helfrich. Yeah, I think there's – you know, I don't want to insult anybody – <laughs> about uh, trying to dig into salary cap, but it, that's a complicated beast to try to manage an entire salary cap and and see how the players fit in there. And you know, you see people say, "Well, this guy's got to take a pay cut, or he's going to get cut." And it's like, well, you don't know that. And there's a lot of decisions that can be made. And I think that if you would ask Ryan Pace, he'd be very happy with what he got out of Taylor Gabriel last year, and he certainly sees him as a major component coming into this year. I'm really excited about him being on the outside, but I want to talk about. The third presumed starter, uh, Anthony Miller. So Miller, Miller, uh, second round pick, traded up to get him. Uh, quickly climbed up the depth chart last year, and he he only saw snaps out of the slot, uh, but he was very effective. He led the team with seven touchdowns. Uh, his overall line is not impressive: thirty-three catches, four hundred and twenty-three yards, seven, seven touchdowns is impressive. Uh, I think that represents a couple things. He had trouble staying on the field. He had that shoulder injury, kind of popped out a couple times. He has addressed that in the offseason with surgery, uh, so he should be good to go there. I think he's going to be fully healthy by camp. At least that's the expectation. 
The other part is that he had trouble learning the playbook. Uh, I did. I actually did speak to him in January, not trying to name drop, but I did do an interview with him in January, and he said that he had trouble picking up the system, just so completely different from what he did at Memphis. And so they made a conscious effort to just keep him in the slot so he could just focus on those routes there. And he believed when I talked to him back then is that in 2019, he's going to move around everywhere. He's going to, he's going to still play some out of the slot, but he's going to run outside. He thinks he'll run a lot of reverses, uh, throw the ball down the field a little bit. He just said, I'm going to be doing everything. And so I think he's an easy guy to cheer for just because he plays so hard, has that high competitive streak. Um, and he just, really fun to watch that that kind of fire on the field uh what do you expect out of miller in 2019 and i uh, what do you think the chances are that when the dust settles that he's at least the number two wide receiver in this offense i expect big things from miller as you know um he was one of my pre-draft favorites he was my wide receiver two um for many of the reasons you mentioned plays with fire, uh, ran very good routes, incredibly physical and competitive, uh, great hands, uh, good speed, uh, pretty well built. It was unfortunate they got the shoulder injury, but he's, uh, he's a physical specimen came in in camp and really looked like he belonged. I think more quickly than any of the other rookies, it was pretty obvious from practice one or two that he was unintimidated and making plays even against starters. So Miller, I think, again, with the second year in the system, more knowledge past that rookie hump. Everybody talks about how big that transition is, and it is big from college to the NFL. He's past all that now. If he's healthy this year, I think there's a very solid chance he ends up as wide receiver two for all the reasons we talked about and just continues to ascend. I could see him being wide receiver one on the team you know, two or three years from now pretty easily. Do you like him in the slot? Or do you like him playing more outside, opposite of Allen Robinson, and maybe seeing a guy like Gabriel move into the slot or getting reps for a good route runner like we we hope Riley Ridley is going to be? I love him in both places and probably more in both places, and and I'll explain that. I think uh, a player that you can put in either place puts much more pressure on the defense. Uh, certain teams are going to lock up certain corners with certain wide receivers and they're just going to move with them. Other teams are going to play very strictly position-based football. You're always going to be left corner and whoever comes over there is yours. If you're swapping that up, um, or able to kind of dictate to the defense what's going on by moving him or swapping him and changing him in coverage responsibilities so different cornerbacks are having to adjust to what he's doing. I think it's a huge advantage for the offense. And if he's comfortable mentally in both spots, it just gives him more firepower because he can run inside or outside. He ran outside plenty at Memphis, obviously has a skill set, a physical skill set to play inside in the slot. Uh, as well. So the fact that he thinks he is going to be playing both, um, feels comfortable playing both, you know, seems ready to play both is just a big plus for the Bears. Yeah, I I got pretty excited when, when he said that just because I like being multiple and I like being able to shift the look. It seemed like some of the teams that had some success, like I was just thinking about the Rams. They ran out of the same personnel, and they had a lot of variation out of that personnel, but they were just using 11 the whole time, right? And uh-huh. uh, I think that the more variety of looks, the more you're putting the defense on its heels, and I like that a little better than the, the McVay philosophy. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see him uh, take some reps on the outside and see if that opens up some opportunities for some other guys. And so... I have a question here. I'm, I'm kind of curious. That's the presumed starting trio. Do you think there's any doubt in your mind that that's who ends the year as the top three receivers in this offense? If they all stay healthy, no. I think it's pretty safe to say they're going to catch more balls out of the wide receiver spot than any of the other guys on the roster. Okay. So follow up then. What do you think is the target distribution? Maybe not in raw numbers, but maybe in percentage between the three of them. So not Tariq Cohen's targets or Trey Burton's targets or anything like that, but just between the three of them. How do you see that being split out? My desire for that would to see Robinson be the clear leader 
uh, up in the target range we talked about, um, or the or the catch range we talked about, um, 75, 80 would be really nice for Robinson. And uh, based on opportunity, that is, I think Gabriel and Miller are both good at getting open, and it's who's got the lesser corner or who's got the better leveraged route, um, or even just who's the primary on the play. Uh, I think their distribution would be fairly even. Uh, but I could see Miller overtaking Gabriel by the end of the year again if he stays healthy. Are we thinking like fifty catches for each of them? Uh, I think that I don't know that it's crazy. I think again, just with having to spread the ball to other targets outside the position group. I mean, there'll be some more wide receiver catches. There will be other people making catches from the wide receiver position not sure. a ton uh there will be hopefully more production from the tight end position in general not just burton but hopefully sheen comes and grabs um a fair number of targets that would help justify his draft spot it sounds like so far he's looking better than he did last year and then you're going to have the backs getting targets as well whether it's you know actual run carries or whether it's everybody's talking about their ability to split out um Tariq Cohen especially, but, uh, you know, I think David Montgomery is probably the equal or even better than Howard was out of the backfield. So he's going to get a few targets as well. And if you just start talking about that and the overall number of targets and divide it up, um, 50 apiece for Gabriel and Miller might be a hundred between them, but I maybe 60, 40, not probably a 50, 50. It still seems a little bit high to me, but that'd be an interesting one to put on the board and sort of mark that out. You know, will Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller combined for a hundred catches? I would, I would take the under, I would say just under. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. We'll have to find a good number there. Maybe like 90, 90 is a good target, you know, 45 yeah. each. Yeah. That seems about right. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, I, I mean, I tend to agree with you that those are the three guys that are pretty much locked in. I don't think anybody's going to push them this year in terms of taking over a starting role. But let's get into the guys that we do think are going to potentially be on the 53 and maybe where some of that competition is. We mentioned last well, one time. more thing oh, about Miller before we move on. Um, you know who's going to love Anthony Miller, especially when he plays in the slot? Well, I would, besides Trubisky? Besides Trubisky. Um no, I don't know who. David Montgomery. Yeah. Okay. Because Miller blocks like an animal. He blocks just like he plays the rest of the game. He is very physically goes after guys. So if he gets matched up on a true sort of smaller slot corner, and they're running that you know eleven sort of three wide receiver personnel. Uh, and they audible to a run, and, and Montgomery's coming to his side, he's going to get real used to following or trying to get outside uh, Miller's block because Miller is going to go after those corners. There's not going to be an easy tackle coming off the slot corner if Miller's on him. And that no better way to endear yourself to Bears fans than to be a good blocking wide receiver too because you know, Bears fans pick up on that. Maybe not all yep. fan bases, but Bears fans pick up on that sort of thing. So absolutely, okay. that's great. Um, I want to, I want to talk, we talked last time about how Riley Ridley might actually be competing with Javon Wims for a roster spot. And I mean, you know, it's kind of been in the back of my mind since we had that conversation. And I'm kind of curious if you still think that, because the more I think about it, Riley Ridley as a fourth round draft pick would have to have a terrible off the camp, just look like he's just completely lost to not have a spot secured. Do you think that there's room on the roster for both of them? And do you think uh, they're going to maybe go in different paths to fight for different spots on the roster in terms of maybe the types of routes that they're running and who they're running behind of those top three? Yeah, the room question is interesting and, and in my mind, a little bit different than the position question. Um, room question, I'll get two seconds. So I'll answer the second question first. Do I think they're going to be fighting for the same position? And and I've been thinking about it too since we talked about it. And I do think they're a little bit different. I don't necessarily think that they're going to end up going for the same spot. Now, Wims, I think, is a little more like Robinson, um, not in terms of being an alpha number one, but seems less slot-like and more purely outside. Really, that that sort of X receiver seems more reasonable for him. Now, is he anywhere near Allen Robinson's sort of experience and skill level? No. Is he physically more similar to him? Yes, he is. So it feels like he's more sort of straight outside, whereas Ridley with his route running, really defined route running, 
could be more like Miller in the fact that they'll probably put him at one spot this year and say, learn this spot. Could be slot, could be outside, but it'd only be one of those, not both. Um, but he could morph into that over time and probably, again, should be there by season after this, right? Right. For going into the, the 2020 season. Uh, he'll have that positional flexibility to be able to work out of the slot or outside as the number two that currently Taylor Gabriel, you know, role, but the one we think is probably going to be seeded to Miller by the end of the year. Um, Riley Ridley could be a sort of primary backup for Miller. And I think that's more likely. Now the room question, how many fit on the, on the roster is really interesting as you get down to the bottom because it's who counts as a wide receiver is, is a guy like Cordero Patterson going to be counted as a wide receiver who's a, you know those bottom of the wide bottom of the wide receiver depth chart have to be you know they have to have some contribution on special teams to make the 53 if you're deeper than really that third wide receiver spot or certainly the fourth wide receiver spot you've got to be a solid special teams performer and i don't know that really whims or ridley either of them really fits that bill so it puts them in an interesting spot and makes it less likely that they would carry both right yeah, I, it's interesting. I've we don't share our notes necessarily before the uh, before we record, and I have some of the exact same points that I wanted to make, and and I have whims to focus on backing up Robinson. Like that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Is that is that maybe the best route for him? Is to just focus on that to be the guy that can come in and spell Robinson for a few snaps every game and be the guy that is sort of Robinson's backup and you know play to his jump ball strengths and using that size that he has on the outside whereas i think ridley has that ability to run sharp routes so he can be more of a possession guy either that means out of the slot or running more possession routes out of the outside and you're right they're gonna have to probably just say learn this one uh this year and focus on that so it is kind of that brings up the question if if Miller's going to move around, those slot targets are going to be available, which leads me to think that Ridley's probably going to be the guy that does that uh, when you have everybody on the on the team. But is his long-term uh, future with the Bears in the slot, or is it as a number two running some of those more possession-type routes? It's interesting. I, I, that'll be really fun to watch this year and, and into next year to see how that they progress through this system. Uh, I think that there might be room for both of them, though. Uh, it, but you're right; it's really hard to keep th- that many guys that don't contribute on special teams. And let, let's get to the other two guys I want to talk about: Marvin Hall and Emmanuel Hall. And Marvel, Marvel, Marvin <laughs> brings special teams uh, ability, uh, which is obviously what you want at the the bottom end of the wide receiver depth chart. And whereas Emmanuel has, I think we would both consider that to be an incredible ceiling as a developmental wide receiver, someone who had a draft grade we got as an undrafted free agent. Uh, we just found out today, as you know, before we recorded, that Emmanuel had a sports hernia procedure, probably not the most serious of, of surgeries or anything. Uh, Trey Burton went under, underwent something similar, uh, but he uh, had that done, and so that might impact his ability to be healthy and fully available by camp, which you know, when you're a rookie, you need every single healthy rep that you can get. And so that, that might put him behind and that might be a big deal in terms of who ends up making this team and, uh, you know, how they shake out this depth chart. But when you add in Hall and Hall to the mix, uh, how does that shape what you think the wide receiver room looks like? And, you know, then we can get into that Cordell Patterson question, which is, you know, he certainly has a safe spot, but do we count Patterson as a wide receiver or do we count him as a running back? Yeah, the Hall versus all debate is interesting because they are quite different as players. Uh, I was familiar with Marvin Hall because he was a Husky. Manuel Hall, obviously, because he was a draftable prospect. Everybody thought he was going to get picked in the third or fourth round this year. And he's, uh, you know, he's fun to watch. And his quarterback got drafted as well. You know, Drew Locke got drafted. So if you're watching Drew Locke highlights, you ended up seeing a lot of Emmanuel Hall. And he certainly brings more from a pure, you know, offense uh, inline wide receiver than, than Marvin does. He's bigger. He's, I don't want to say he's faster, but he's equally as fast. And I think he runs better routes than Marvin Hall does. Now, Marvin Hall was a great specialist at, um, 
Washington. Most of his highlights were on special teams. He had a few highlights in, in the inline offense, uh, but it was more returning for Marvin and Emmanuel was the opposite. He had most of his highlights in the primary offense as, as really wide receiver one when he was healthy. So the sports hernia thing is interesting. He missed some games this year. It's one of the one of the reasons that a lot of people think he might have fallen in the draft was that people questioned his desire. He wasn't available. Um, maybe they thought he didn't come back. Uh, they didn't think the injury was that serious. If he ended up having surgery for it, maybe that explains. Uh, and again, Missouri was somewhat vague in how they listed it during the season. They just said it was a core injury or an abdominal injury, and that's all they said. Uh, so you don't really know how severe that is. But if it was bad enough to have surgery to get it towed up now, maybe that casts a little bit more light on the middle of his season in Missouri this year. And again, the Bears get a steal out of it either way. One interesting possibility is that neither one of these guys makes the 53 because Marvin just plain old doesn't. And Emmanuel Hall, they kind of go, oh, well, he's a slow healer, so we're going to put him on IR. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And they stash him, right? And then the whole Riley Ridley versus Javon Wims debate comes into clear focus. You do keep both of them. Um, they're your four and five and assets that you've developed and, and, and like to keep or, or drafted highly in the case of Riley Ridley or, or spend a draft pick on a worthwhile draft pick. And then you keep both of them and then you stash Hall and develop him and see if you can spin him up really for next year when there might be movement. Guys like Taylor Gabriel going out of town or you, know, you never know what's going to happen with injury. So that's one way they could kind of get them all you know, on the roster. Now, am I saying that's going to happen? I don't know, but I could see that happening and I wouldn't be sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, very surprised by that. I think those things happen pretty regularly and would not surprise me if that comes to fruition. But I think it is an interesting debate to have up front before training camp starts. And I I don't want to handicap it or anything, but I, I, I do think that the Bears need special teams performers, and I think Marvin Hall was a pretty important target for Pace uh, to be able to get guys that perform well on special teams. I don't think the Bears' special teams were very good last year. That's one thing that we didn't really talk much about. It didn't get much press, but they, they certainly weren't very good besides Tariq Cohen returning punts. And so having more skilled special teamers, which is a reflection of your depth in a lot of ways, and the Bears just didn't have great depth last year. But going out and focusing on bringing in some of those special teams, guys, I think it was important. And so as much as we like that potential of a diamond in the rough getting something for nothing, I, I think that Pace had some real meaning in bringing Hall in. And so I kind of I think that he's got a pretty good chance to stick. And I think the interesting question comes down to counting Patterson as well, maybe a fourth running back or – do you carry that seventh wide receiver that is really Patterson, which is that offensive weapon we were talking before the show where he doesn't necessarily have a defined role as a wide receiver or running back. He's just weapon. And maybe that's what Matt Nagy sees Cordell Patterson as. And we're just keeping him as kind of this luxury item to use for trying to crack open some explosive plays. Well, they certainly paid luxury prices to have him it's uh the chances that cordell patterson doesn't make the team are very low based on what they gave him in contract and and how quickly they sort of prioritized him and went out and got him it, looking at his carries last year i really do think he's that flexible offensive weapon and i think there is actually some benefit to giving him a, a a running back number um and flexing him out of the backfield um having him have those straight carries but also flexing out and really stressing you know a guy like Cordero Patterson on pretty much any linebacker in the league is a mismatch you want to have. And a lot of times, um, even light fast linebackers are going to flex out on running backs as opposed to defensive backs. And Cordero Patterson is going to win a few of those matchups. And I think Nagy and Helfrich are just sort of licking their chops at the possibilities of what they can do if that's the case. Now, he's currently listed as a wide receiver early, early, early on. Um, but again, it would be odd to carry that seventh wide receiver um, and I see that kind of more fourth running back as, as much more likely. But, you know, that's not the way it's listed currently. And and back to your point about Marvin Hall as a, as a primary special teamer, it really comes down to how much coverage he provides. He had more highlights as a returner. But, you know, one of the guys that the Bears did lose that we don't talk a lot about during the offseason is Josh Bellamy. And Josh Bellamy was a grade A number one special teamer. Right. Um, 
both on coverage and, you know, he contributed on the offense a little bit when he came in. So is Hall that guy? Is he a guy that can play really four-phase special teams and, you know, um, bring real value on coverage? Or is he sort of getting in line with the very stacked uh, returner rotation and trying to make a dent there? If that's the case, I think his chance to make the roster is pretty low. If he's that all-around coverage guy like Bellamy and special teams ace who's going to play three or four phases and can tackle, his chances of making the roster go way, way up. Yeah, I sort of saw him as more of the coverage guy, but you bring up an interesting point because he did have a lot more of his highlights and people talked about more of his returnability, but I did <clears throat> seem to remember him being a pretty good uh, coverage guy. But and also kind of the flip side of it, when we get to corners and talk about the depth chart at cornerback, it's usually a lot of times you can get guys that are good at coverage on that depth chart, and we'll maybe explore that when we get to them. Um, yeah, I think that balance is really interesting, that particular balance between do you carry the extra wide receivers or do you carry the extra DBs because it's really where those kind of faster guys on coverage teams come from. Right. And I think we might see a shift. We've had a very traditional sort of set on the Bears where that's come from the wide receiver position pretty solidly with a guy like Bellamy or, or been balanced between wide receiver and and. Uh, cornerback with Sherrick McManus, the other special teams stand out. And maybe this year it's two defensive backs instead of a wide receiver and a defensive back. Right. That'll be interesting. Yeah. There's only, only 53 <laughs> and yep. it does get tight at the end. Uh, anything else with the, with the wide receivers before we get into tight ends? Uh, just that there's a lot of really interesting stories that two or three years ago we would have been talking about and, and sort of fawning over guys in the UDFA ranks. Um, and this year, nobody even knows their name. Uh, because there's such good depth ahead of them. We were talking about uh, before the short jo- uh, Jordan Williams Lambert. Uh, shout out to our colleague Sam Householder, who's, who's from Ball State. Uh, this guy's also from Ball State. He's 6'3", 228, had a pretty good career in college. Nobody even knows his name this year as a as an undrafted free agent on the Bears. Uh, and then, you know, there's other random stories. Taquan Mazel looked most people think he's as good as gone, but he's currently listed as a wide receiver. Um, this huge guy from Colgate, 6'5", 215, Thomas Ives. His chances to make the roster almost nil. His chances to make the practice squad, it would be a pretty good stretch. Former fan favorite Tanner Gentry. Hey, has he developed? Has he taken a leap? Is he right. going to, you know, he's got a really tough shot to crack this roster really anyway. So there's these other guys down the roster that are really interesting stories that are getting zero press because the guys at the top are so exciting and there's so many of them and everybody's talking about how they're going to stack up. So just the fact that there's that much depth that guys like that are getting totally ignored is is pretty interesting. Yeah, Tanner Gentry, the uh, preseason Hall of Famer. That's right. Uh, all right, let's move on to tight ends. So tight end group is, I think, fairly interesting because you've got a couple of guys that are pretty well inked into their to their roles. And I, I do want to talk in depth about them a little bit. And then we have some competition. Uh, but let's start with, I, actually, I want to start with the designations that Nagy uses for tight ends. And I want you to explain it. We talked about it before the show a U, an F, and a Y, which is a little different than what a lot of people have traditionally thought of as the more of a two tight ends types, but Deggie has that idea for three tight end types. Yeah, and I this was laid out very clearly. Uh, I'd sort of had this idea in my head that the that the move tight ends were not all equal in his system, but I hadn't articulated it or, or sort of um, you know gelled that thought in my head, and I read a great article um, off a of fan side of the Bear Goggles On website. Uh, credit to them. The author was Parker Hurley. And uh, he really went into the that split between the what people call a move or a joker tight end and, and that there's actually two different designations. So the U tight end um, is the player that Nagy went out and got Burton to be and said, look, this is a very important role in the offense. Uh, plays a primary role. Burton knows how to play it. I want him to come here and model it. So they overpaid to get Burton in the fold to do that. And he did that last year. He didn't produce in a, in a huge way, but he, he, he modeled that U role um, very clearly. This is, you know, anywhere from slot to out wide, could be inline or even in the backfield. It's kind of that crazy sort of move H back role that's really versatile and can do can and do does a lot of things in Nagy's offense. That's the U tight end. Now the split for the sort of more athletic tight end that's not the U is the F tight end. Now can line up in the slot, 
is what the article said, split the seams down the field. This is really the Adam Shaheen guy, the guy that's got basketball-like skills, some decent speed, some decent size, and can stress the seam. Now, Shaheen was drafted to play that role. Mm, he hasn't really delivered, but looks like he's looking good in the early drills. We'll see if he can bring some viability to that role in the offense to kind of round that out. We didn't really see that last year um, with Shaheen hurt. There wasn't really another player on the roster that could step into that role and, and be that guy. And then the classic, you know, either of those tight ends can block, can chip, um, U or F, but look, when you get down at the goal line, you just want a sixth offensive lineman, the classic Y tight end. This is the road grader. This is the Bradley soul, uh, in this particular case was supposed to be the Dion Sims guy. Dion Sims didn't do it very well. They paid him a lot of money and didn't get a lot of production out of him, but this is the, Hey, we've got the heavy set. We know we're going to get down and have to block a big guy, uh, a heavy set outside linebacker or a straight D end. We need a guy that can push and knows how to block and do angles. The guy like soul, look, he's athletic he can give you a little bit of receiving we saw him catch a uh, touchdown pretty famously last year but this is the big guy and to know that there's three sort of distinct roles you being the sort of most extreme move f being a little bit more of a hybrid between the two but still a guy that needs to be able to move down the field and catch and then that y which is look i'm here primarily to block but i might sneak in for a touchdown or two all right great setup for that so let's go back up to the top with the u tight end and Trey Burton came in on a pretty nice contract uh, for him, a pretty big contract. And I think a lot of people were expecting huge production. I actually remember being on Lester's show before the season last year as kind of a fantasy focus. And he was saying that Brad Biggs was predicting uh, that Burton would have over a thousand yards and that he would, you know, 10 touchdowns. And I was like, um, I, you know, that would be rather surprising. This is not Travis Kelsey. Uh, this is not the do it all guy that can run everything. And so I think that there were maybe some outsized expectations of what Burton brought to the table. And I thought that he played fine. And I think that as we get into the next year of the offense that we'll see him have maybe more opportunities or maybe be more efficient with the opportunities that he is given. But I, I like him. I, I think he fits the role fine uh, and, and fits the role well, I should say. And I, I thought that uh, it was a position of need to, to make this offense successful. And I think he just maybe got caught up into some mismanaged expectations from the fan base or from, from the local writers. What, what did you, what were your overall impressions of him and what do you kind of expect to see out of him this year? I think you're right about outsized expectations. There's a lot of excitement. He was coming off a, a Super Bowl season with the Eagles where he played a obviously a very publicized, prominent role. He's very athletic, more athletic than any tight end um, the Bears have seen in a while. And because of that, there you know, people just got jacked about it and they said, Look, uh, Nagy's coming from an offense where tight ends play this incredible role. And you mentioned Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs. You know, he's had, you know, Kelsey is arguably one of the most top two talented tight ends in the league over the last couple of years. So there was just a lot of sort of wash over about that. And given that, it was going to be hard for Burton to live up to that. Now, how do I think he performs sort of in a more objective way? Still a little bit disappointed with his production, not necessarily because I had that high of hope um, for him as, as some of the writers did, as you mentioned, but still I think he probably could have brought a little bit more, not only production, but kind of dynamism to the offense. Did he, did he break very many plays? Did he have very many plays where I remember Trey Burton sort of lighting it up and cracking something open and going, wow, you know, that's, that's amazing. That's what we were missing. I, I don't. Um, so I think again, like you, that he had a very solid year, um, that he delivered pretty well. He was certainly not, not a huge disappointment, but was there room, um, even in reasonable expectations to do a little bit better? I think, yeah, that's probably where I fall that he was not a huge failure, but he didn't really do what I thought he could do even sort of in the midline. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And, and I kind of wonder, working in the shadows of, uh, you know, in, in Philadelphia when he was working under with Ertz and Ertz is kind of this larger than life tight end. He's probably a top three guy. 
And then you've got Kelsey down in Kansas City, and Kelsey's been my number one tight end on my fantasy boards for the last couple of years. He's amazing. You know, Gronk, at the end of his career, obviously all beat up. Uh, you know, that's why I discount Gronk. But, you know, those guys are kind of in their own little class, but they're these more big traditional tight ends that can just run like crazy and make huge plays, and that's not what this role is. And so that's maybe what I was uh, – Maybe that's what I was trying to get at is that it's it's not that you should not have those expectations for Burton because he's not playing the same position. Um, but I, I I think he's I think he can have a, just another solid year. But I I don't know. I guess I'm I'm not comfortable with putting outsized expectations on him because I'm not sure that that's what this role does. Do we have an example of a U tight end that has put up giant numbers anywhere in the league? Ah. Uh. Don't most of the guys in that role? I, I think um, Evan Ingram is another guy in that role in, for the Giants, and a lot of people had crazy expectations for him. And I was I was very similar um, in my expectations for him as you were for Burton coming into the Bears. I was like, I think he's going to be productive, but I don't think he's going to light it up to the tune of, you know, anything over. 800 to a thousand yards and and double digit touchdowns and a lot of people saying oh but he's fast but he's fast but he's fast but evan ingram in my scouting of him ran two routes you know right. at old miss he ran right. two routes he got a lot of yards off him but he ran two routes that's not going to work in the pros the defenders and the def- the defenses are, are far more sophisticated so i think ingram's, ingram's been you know good but again his production's kind of been in line more with burton than a guy with like or Kelsey, as you were saying, that more sort of dynamic number one do it all tight end. I, I don't see him as that kind of player. So I think you're right that you um, can be a solid contributor and can definitely provide some wild plays. We've seen plenty of examples of that, but over the course of a year, does that add up to the kind of seasons that people, you know, and again, the offenses that Nagy was involved with, right? The the Reed offense, which somewhat stayed, or the Peterson offense in in Philadelphia and Kansas City. You're looking at two of the top three or four tight ends in the league. So this right. there was a bit of wash to Burton that said, "Oh, it's, he's going to be like that," right? Well, not exactly. Well, let's talk about the other guy. I want to talk about Shaheen, um, who we're kind of talking about. I mean, traditionally we've been calling him a Y, but uh, I like this new designation of calling him more of an F. Ashland, small college coming out, kind of a surprise pick, at least to me. I don't know where you had him in terms of your tight end ranks. I obviously I was, was very surprised. Okay. Um, we, we have a little roundtable going during the draft. Typically, we didn't do it this year, but we've done it in years past, uh, sort of live on draft night where everybody from everybody who's interested from Windy City Gridiron is on, and we're all sort of reacting behind the scenes. And uh, I was very surprised with the pick of Shaheen. I thought it was a heavy reach. Um and, uh, you know, people said, oh, he would have been gone. He would have been gone. And I was like, well, that's fine. That doesn't mean you go up and spend a second round pick on him because I really didn't think he was there. Tons of potential, tons of ceiling. But like you said, huge step from a place like Ashland um, to the NFL and, and massive expectations leaped on, you know, heaped on a guy who's in the second round now. And is that going to stymie his development? And, you know, that combined with injuries and the reality of, hey, Ashland is nowhere near the NFL has really stacked up on Adam Sheen. Is, do you know, is Ashland in Ohio? Uh, I believe it is, but boy, my short term flushes with locations of small schools every year because there's so many of them. And this year it was, you know, all about Valdosta State, right? <laughs> well, on my, yeah, no, on my trip out east, though, I think we drove through uh, Ashland, and I was like, oh, this is where Adam Shaheen went to I college. believe it is. I think you're <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. Um, well, I'm just going to have to look it up now. But, yeah, I, I think all those things combined, and it was unreasonable. And a lot of people, as soon as he was drafted, sort of carried over that um, – uh, really unfair label of baby Gronk. I mean, come on, Gronk's a Hall of Fame tight end. Yep. Um, yeah, it is in Ashland. Ashland University is in Ashland, Ohio. So there you go. Um, but I just think that was terribly unfair. It saddled him again with high expectations. Look, he's a physical marvel, but he didn't 
play like it even at, at Ashland. He had flashes, but to say he was a sort of unified finished product that was working in in beautiful concert is is overstating all of those things, right? He had all that stuff, but he was learning how to use it. He grew a tremendous amount in a very short period of time, um, both uh, height-wise, stretching in his frame, and then adding weight. Um, so the idea that that guy would sort of just come out fully formed in his shell and be like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, supremely uh, strong, talented and coordinating, go to the NFL level and play against elite athletes was was always going to be a stretch. Well, and it would, hurts me even more as a Hawkeye fan is that George Kittle next oh, round. Don't start. I'm just don't saying. Start. I'm just saying. He was there. Don't man. start. Man. I just need more Hawkeyes. I, trust me. You know that I was a huge Kittle advocate yeah um throughout the pre-draft process so I do my answer is yeah I know <laughs> yeah it, that was that was uh particularly and no rough. I'm not bitter about it <laughs> well I'm curious do you think that this is the last chance if we don't see real improvement from him this year that it's is he just not coming back uh, I would say yes absolutely and I have no problem with that whatsoever because you know some guys it just doesn't work out for it. The draft is a crapshoot. Um, you know, Pace stuck his marker in the ground and said, I believe this guy's a second-round talent. Um, things haven't worked out for him. Sometimes that happens, right? There are the Kevin Whites of the world, who I was fully behind. I loved Kevin White as wide receiver coming out of West Virginia. He had very, he almost had no injury history. He got to the pros. He never could overcome the injuries. I, I wish him all the best with the Cardinals. I hope he has a great career um, going forward. But look, it's time to get those guys off the roster. Shaheen in his third season, if he puts up, you know, 20 for 343 and 3, you know, do you keep that guy around? No. Why would you? There's there's better players out there. You go get them. You only, like you said, you only get 53, and there's only so much promise that a second round draft pick will get you. Now, does he get picked up by another team? I think absolutely. He gets picked up by another team very quickly. Do they end up using him in a different role? Maybe. Is he any more productive? I I don't know. I don't know that it will ever click for Shaheen. So far. Really promising news out of, again, very early sort of OTAs that he's looking quite good, that he's standing out, that people are mentioning him when they're only mentioning two or three people. So maybe he's turning the corner. Maybe he's fully healthy. Maybe we don't know the full story about all that. And this is the year where he comes on and really contributes. I'd love it. That, that's amazing. People hear me talk about Shaheen and they think I'm down on the person, right? Right, right. And Absolutely not. This is a young guy who's fighting for his dream and has some incredible skills. If he puts it all together, as a Bears fan, I'm going to be thrilled. I'm going to love it. You know, have we seen it so far? No, we haven't. If he doesn't show it this year, is there really any reason to sort of extend him yet another chance? I really don't think there is. Yeah, I think that's the how long do you give that block of clay time to mold itself into something useful? And it's not, you know, Major League Baseball where you've got a farm system and, you know, a guy can take his time to figure things out and matriculate into the major leagues at age 27 or age 29 or whatever. This is, there's a click, you know, there's a ticking clock here. And so year three really is the year that you got to show something. So, okay. Well, I I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point on Shaheen. I think that, you know, I, I never believe the, in the best shape of their life off season report kind of stuff. Um, I just don't love that, but uh, you know, we're, we're talking about maybe going to camp this summer. So we'll take an extra eye out for, for the tight ends and see how Shaheen is uh, hopefully taking that next step. I think that we don't probably have to talk much about Bradley soul. I think I love the fact that he got officially moved to tight end. Um, I love the fact that he caught that ball with his hands. Like he looked oh, like yeah. a natural pass catcher and an and athlete. the dancing. Come on, the, and dancing. the dancing. It was got to talk about the dancing, man. Because it was I'm, my I'm favorite a, play of the year. Yeah, I'm a terrible dancer. Um, Bradley Soul easily could dance me under the table. He is. He, he was amazing. Great moves. Great hands catch. I love both of those things. And so I, I think you'll probably agree that he's got a pretty good shot at 
at serving in that role because he did it last year and he's uh, was quite good at it. I think that I really enjoyed when he was on the field. I felt really good about it. And and so that brings me to the last two names. And we you've got some others that you like to talk about as guys that are maybe interesting prospects to fight for uh, practice squad, practice squad spot. But let's talk about uh, Broniker and your favorite guy, Dax Raymond. Are those guys kind of fighting for uh, a fourth tight end spot? Or is there I, room for both of them? Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, given the designation discussion that we started off with, I think it clears that up a little bit. Because when Raymond was drafted, everybody's like, well, is he Trey Burton or is he Deion Sims? And I was like, well, he's not He's not really either, right? I think he's somewhere in between that. And the F designation gives him a place to be that I think is really uh, tailor-made for who he is. You know, He's the guy that if... Shaheen turns out to be the starting F. He's really trying to back up that F spot. He's just about as tall. He's 6'5", versus Shaheen being 6'6". Now, they list him at 225, and of course, Shaheen's much bigger. Uh, But he's going to put on weight. And he's not terribly fast, but he is quick. He is athletic. He does get up and catch with his hands, so he's got a very large catch radius. Is he, you know, quick like a Trey Burton at at 230 or 235? No, he's not that guy. So I never felt like he was a clean replacement for that U. He has some of that ability, but I really think he's a, you know, almost custom-made guy for the F and and certainly a great grab in the undrafted ranks. Broniker on the other hand, is really athletic. He was uh, a Harvard guy, as, as people sort of famously know, but had some really good testing numbers. He's a tremendous athlete. He also happens to be a very good special teamer, which really lands in his favor. But I think he's more of a straight – I think Broniker's more of a straight backup for uh, a guy like Trey Burton at the year. Right, I agree. And, and that makes that whole thing – one of the reasons I love that article so much is it made that particular designation of what are the, where are the backups trying to fit in, right? Right. What? Where did they draft Raymond to be? Is it in line or is it the super small fast guy? And it's not. It's really that clean middle line. Whereas you know Broniker um, ran a little bit faster, had some amazing uh, sort of agility times, quickness agility times. It was a little bit smaller, six four, two fifty two, so heavier but shorter, um, but really really athletic. And I think is probably the primary backup for Burton and a key key special teamer. Yeah, absolutely. I I like him. Um, any other tight ends you want to talk about? I know you like I said, I know you like those bottom of the roster guys. Absolutely. The undrafted free agent class is really interesting. Um, Ellis Richardson, really athletic guy, six three, two forty from Georgia Southern, really probably again a, a guy competing for snaps to sort of eventually be a U tight end. Definitely more of a practice squad guy based on his production and his profile coming out of Georgia Southern. Um, Raymond, we've talked about, but then they've got this guy, Jesper Horstead, who played wide receiver at Princeton. Yep, the Ivy League. He's 6'4, 215, but they have him listed as a tight end. Now, that is a really interesting guy if you think he can put on, oh, say, 20 pounds and get up to that 235, 240 range, because then he's 6'4, 240 with wide receiver skills, and he's pretty darn athletic. Great hands, made some amazing catches at Princeton really wide catch radius you know is he going to make the 53 absolutely not is he going to make the practice squad i think it would be still pretty good story if he made the practice squad but you know and then there's ian bunting who's a guy that started at michigan went to california again big schools huge guy 6'7 255 definitely more of that you know soul back up as the as the y road grader type tight end um is he you know long for the roster i doubt it um having looked at his highlights he doesn't present a lot besides that blocking ability very limited receiving ability but you know an interesting guy to watch through camp yeah good stuff well that sounds like a guy that could probably fight for a practice squad spot potentially though too um don't necessarily you know, you can usually find a role for something like that when you need it. Uh, so don't want to. Did you ever see the movie awesome. Deadpool? I, I, I have not. I'm not okay. a, I'm not a superhero guy. That's okay. So the, the whole story about Deadpool, how he got his name is they literally have a pool at this mercenary bar of who they think is going to die first. And it's called the Deadpool. <laughs> okay. Um, 
you know, so they're betting on who they think will get, you know, axed first in their job, right? And uh, if there was a Deadpool for current Bears right now, uh, I think Ian Bunting would be uh, a high odds guy at the top of the board. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of a Princeton and a Harvard guy on the team. I mean, the 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 Quiz Bowl. Uh, oh, but Bears Bunting's, are be Bunting's crazy. the Michigan California. Oh, 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 you're right. We're yeah, the, he's the big yeah, he's the big okay. Y guy. Like, okay. uh, if they're going to cut somebody like in the initial cuts, I, I'm voting for Ian Bunting. Now, if he proves me wrong, good on you, Mr. Bunting. However, yeah. uh, I think my money's fairly safe in the Deadpool with Ian Bunting being one of the first cuts. I went back to the to the Princeton guy. I was just so locked onto these Ivy League tight ends. Well, we the have. other guy uh, we didn't even talk about again. A guy uh, from the uh, not the Ivy League, but the Patriot League is is wide receiver from uh, Colgate, Thomas Ives, who's six five two fifteen. We didn't even mention him because the wide receivers are so stacked. But yeah, we got Colgate, Harvard, um, you know, uh, all kinds of Princeton. So yeah, we're gonna play of, some pickup basketball games too. Or we're something. gonna play some pickup basketball with the height and go to what was it? Uh, quiz Bowl. He said we're gonna yes, win the yeah, NFL definitely quiz, quiz Bowl. We're gonna be yeah. great. Yep. All right. Well, I don't have anything else. You have anything else? You want to get us out of here? Uh, no, I'd be happy to get us out of here. Go ahead and follow the pod. Uh, it has its very own uh, Twitter handle at Bears Over Beers. Send us beer suggestions. Send us content suggestions. Um, you can follow Jeff at Gridironborn. You can follow me at the Draftsman FB, as in football. Um, and we've got some great stuff lined up for you coming up over the summer. Uh, next episode is going to be about cornerbacks. Uh, plenty to talk about there. Uh, we're going to have a cheap beer episode sometime this summer because we got a lot of feedback on that on twitter lots of lots of interest from bears listeners about cheap uh cheap beer lawn mowing beer whatever you want to call it um no surprise there uh we've got some great interviews coming up uh lined up some great nfl writers uh content producers folks that have agreed to come on the pod which is going to be really fun so plenty of content over the dead season it might be the doldrums of the nfl offseason but uh bears over beers will keep you going so uh until the next one thanks so much for listening go ahead and download us uh rate us that helps us keep bringing content to you all those five star ratings or tremendous comments on itunes or stitcher wherever you get your podcasts and of course you can reach us through uh windy city gridiron in the comments section we'd be happy to see you there thanks for listening thanks for consuming the pod and of course your favorite beverages and until next time bear down